Hi, I'm Clara. And I'm Stephanie. And welcome to the Practice with Clara podcast, where we go into philosophy and all things yoga related, which has been my passion for over 20 years. This week our theme was giver and receiver, where we shared a meditation practice for compassion. We went into tools on how to create strong boundaries. And how to shift energy and emotions. If you haven't already, subscribed to the podcast and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome everyone to the Practice with Clara podcast. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Clara. And this week our theme is giver and receiver. I thought I'd start by reading a quote by Thomas More to center. A philosophy of life is a bundle of wisdom you have gathered from your reading and experience. It is not a rigid ideology that allows no development in complexity. It's a living thing, a developing idea about life that belongs to you alone. Mm, I love that. I love that because I find at least with new concepts or um, ideologies, there can be a rigidity Mm -hmm. that doesn't allow for, uh, doesn't allow for exploration Mm -hmm. because it's like a set, a set way. And I find at least for me, the practice, there's nothing set because the individual soul is just so individual. I feel like you need some container there needs to be some boundary and limitation but then once you have kind of a guideline that's when the exploration and kind of personal practice develops from that Mm -hmm. so to to give an example in the 30-day challenge that we launched on June 1st every day the commitment is coming to your mat and we've all agreed to do this but how you come to your mat doesn't need to be exactly what you've provided so in the class if you're tired or you're not feeling yeah right you can kind of layer and do what serves you in that day but the commitment is coming to your mat so you've set kind of the guideline this is what we're doing this is how it's done but within that there's so much flexibility to do what serves you and that's where I think this quote serves and you develop your own kind of philosophy of living within that container yeah I've, I'm going to play devil's advocate because it's kind of an interesting one that I feel like people who uh, prefer a little bit of dogma, prefer rigidity, mm-hmm. are really about. But the idea of the structure is that it creates a container for you to find uh, your own freedom within it. But um, some people feel like if you veer... I'm thinking of this Yogi Bhajan quote, actually, mm. um, where it's, if you if you dig many holes, you'll never create a well. You yeah. have to stick with one hole to dig to create a well. And so either your backyard looks like a bunch of holes or you actually connect to water. And so that the what Yogi Bhajan is saying around that is this idea of stick to one thing and do it all the way. And don't you think it's doing it all the way if you show up every day for the challenge with the intent of coming to your mat and making it through however long the practice is? Sometimes that is literally all you're capable of doing. Or would you say it's no, I committed, I'm going to do everything that Claire is saying in this. So I don't believe, like what I'm telling you right now, I don't believe it. I'm just playing the other (laughs) side of this because I think it's an interesting one because uh, especially in our community, depending upon the lineage of yoga, there are some pretty strong opinions about this. And so I'm just going to play the other side. I fully agree with you that I think just showing up to the mat is the practice in of itself. But um, what I feel like the other the other side of that would say is that you have to teeter. It's a very fine line between complacency yeah. and 
honoring quote unquote where you are and sometimes at least like I'm thinking like in the Ashtanga series or in like the hot series like a series that is set that they ask you to kind of do everything is that you show up doing the best that you can right to the fullest of your ability and the idea of that is to push through discomfort and so um I don't necessarily agree with this, but again, I just, I think it's an interesting one. So that's why I'm playing with it or bringing it up to the community, to bringing it up to you guys is that, um, when do we know when we're honoring ourselves or when do we know when we're being lazy? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think too, there's, and speaking from this angle, when I've gone all out, I'm going to do everything that the teacher's saying, I'm just going to kill it. I've gotten injured. Yeah. Like that's how I blew my rotator cuff, my left shoulder. So yeah, how do you know when is enough? And can you, another big question for me is, can I trust the teacher Mm -hmm. to, you know, watch what's going on and guide me through a safe practice? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question. And so I'm, we're bringing it up or we're talking about it specifically because we're uh, eight days into our 30 day challenge. And so uh, and and as Steph said, we've we, I've curated a playlist of thirty classes for the thirty days, hopefully so that there's ebbs and flows. But you definitely show up sometimes, and you're like, "Is this what I want to be doing, or is it just because I'm like essentially hitting the snooze button and not really wanting to go through it?" And so I'll bring it into um, our like Alejandro and I are are doing the challenge as well. We're all doing it. Steph's doing it as well. I'd like to hear what your experience has been. But um, so how I've set it up is essentially Monday, the first day is kind of like a chiller class and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday we kind of come into vinyasa yoga like a little bit more challenging, not super challenging but a bit more and then Friday we kind of take it down to like restorative um, uh, chill yin style and then Saturday, Sunday we ramp it up and we do like an an hour long vinyasa practice. So um, we are now nine weeks into being parents and um, I, we do the practice. We've been trying to do it during the day, but it just doesn't work when she naps during the day. So we've been doing it at night. So it's either between 8.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. is when we're doing it. And Yeah, and for me, I practice, when I practice an intense practice, it'll be in the morning. It's definitely never at night. So like yesterday, last night, we're supposed to be side crow. That was the, the class that we were going to do. And both Alejandro and I had just spent like nine hours. We just got a new office, setting up the office and just doing a ton of work. And so we did yoga nidra. We did the quick strat. We did Friday's class over Honestly, again yeah. because that's what we both needed. We were so tired. And again, like Steph said, I feel like when, at least when I'm tired and if I try to like soldier through, I definitely injure. Yeah. So personalizing the practice. And what's been nice is seeing people on our, on our Facebook feed. A couple people yeah. did that. They've been switching the practices around, like looking at it and being like, actually today I'm going to do day six. And yeah. then, you know, the next day I'm going to do day five and da, da, da. Which kind of confused me one day. Cause I was like, did I post the wrong photo of the day today? But no, it was that is people are kind of adjusting as they see Which fit. I love. No, it's, it's great. Yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah. And so, uh, so coming back to this quote that, that Steph has kind of brought up in terms of like, how do we make not only our practice personal, but our lives personal. It also makes me think of like, 
at least growing up, we're told, you know, we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Like, you need to graduate college. I mean, depending upon, actually, I guess, the household you grew up in. But I feel like a lot of households, uh, or the household I grew up in, is like, you go to university, right? You get a job. You do these things. And um, how much of it is what I want to do and how much of it is what I'm being told what to do, which, again, is the same idea in the, in the yoga practice. Is like, the teacher is telling me what to do. Do I need to do it? Do I not need to do it? Like, what's serving me is always a good question. This weekend, um, so my sister's finishing her nursing degree. So two years on top of the two years she did, like, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking because she writes her exam in October, and then she's a full RN. Um, and she was like, yeah, I, I don't even know that I want this anymore. I feel like I got into this because it was what I thought I needed to do. You need mm. a degree. You need a good job. Her passion is aesthetics, like hair, hair schooling and that. Okay. So very opposite. Yeah. And on the but fo- still taking care of people. Exactly. Like yeah. counseling, caretaking, making people feel seen and good about themselves. But it was just, it's, it, you're reminding me of the conversation because she was like, years ago I did the thing I thought I should do and now seeing the end of the tunnel, I'm completing everything and I'm now second guessing what I actually want in my life. Yeah. And it is a little bit of that where it's the same thing. You go to university, you get a good job, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And that's the problem is that if you're constantly doing what society or whatever kind of ideology you're listening to demands your whole life could pass by and you don't even recognize what it is your heart is longing for yeah (laughs) yeah um so on that note (laughs) let's move to our next question (laughs) so wait i'm gonna i'm gonna leave it because i feel like we should i we should leave it on a little bit of a lighter note just for uh all of us out out there in so what i kind of what we're what we're kind of like playing with in terms of uh, of this question and what I ask I invite you to ask yourself is what you're doing right now are you doing it out of obligation are you doing it out of uh, desire are you doing it out of need and none of none none of the intentions are bad bad or wrong they, but being honest with why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing is like the most, I think the most important thing. And sometimes we do need to do things out of obligation or we need to do them because yeah, that's what needs to get done. And in the same breath, right. Can I show up or do it with a bit of passion or a bit of intention or a bit of mindfulness so that I'm aware of what of doing whatever it is that I'm doing so that ideally you don't wake up you know, one day and be like, how did I end up here? You know? And so that ideally your life doesn't pass you by. And okay. In that vein, the conversation ended with my sister where she was like, now at least I have something that I do like doing and it pays well. So if I do go back to school for hairdressing and do that on the side, I have balance in my life. Mm -hmm. So it, it is, it's balance. It's all kind of figuring things out and it's never too late to flip gears. No. Yeah. No. And it's never too early to to get mindful. Yeah, okay. (laughs) On the other side of that. Okay, where are we going next? So let's talk about um, the practice of Tonglen. Okay. Which is a uh, Buddhist meditation from Pema Chodron. And the idea is that you uh, sit in, I'm paraphrasing here, but you sit with others and you breathe in their pain. Are they physically there with you? Or are you just imagining them? 
I think you can do it either way. Um, The answer is yes. Yes. Okay, great. I feel like you could sit with that intention. Uh, So it's it's the art of practicing compassion. Okay. So you're breathing in their pain and you're exhaling relief and sending them kindness. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think about that or why are we bringing it up? Um, in the idea of giving and receiving, mm-hmm. so how you're sitting with others, coming coming into maybe physical spaces that are um, tense or where there's sadness or anger present and how to stay within the boundary of yourself while um, interacting with others. I feel the first thing I think of when you when you say that is the first challenge that arises, I think could arise from that is depending upon your relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting one to also show up is that you need to be, I feel like in order to do practices of compassion, at least in my own experience of them, is that I need to be able to step outside of the story that I have around that person Mm -hmm. in order to see them as a full human. And why I'm saying this is because um, I used to, I waited tables for a long time in New York City and there was a point in time when um, we became union at the hotel that I was working at. And all of a sudden there was like, a war between the waiters, I was a waiter at the time, and everybody else because the the tip-out scale changed Mm. because of the way that the union had been set up. And um, everybody everybody who was not a waiter was very angry with the way that the tipping out, uh, meaning the way that the waiters paid um, the bar staff, everybody um, changed, and everybody stopped speaking to us. And uh, I used to do money at the end of the evening, meaning that we were pulled house. Everybody would give me money, I would, um, and I would kind of like delegate and put all the money together for everybody. And there used to be this one um, food runner who would stand over me and yell at me, and then he would yell afterwards because uh, they were very angry and he uh, about the way that the pay was happening. And um, this was like really early on in my yoga practice. I was going to Jivamukti like every every day. And I remember listening to Ram Das at one point. They used to play a lot of Ram Das uh, while we were doing yoga, who's an amazing speaker. And he was talking about how the practice of compassion and really working with people who challenge you the most and to allow them to be your practice. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did for three months. I dedicated my practice to this lovely gentleman. The yelling food runner. Yeah, the yelling food runner for three months. Wow. So every day that I showed up to my mat, I thought about him. And for the first couple of weeks, I was angry. Like it was, what was coming out of me was toxic. Like I was just like, just so uh, upset because I hadn't cleaned up my own story around it. And one of the gifts of going to the, of showing up to the practice and doing that is that within the, within that time period, I actually cleaned up how I felt about him. And so, you know, like three or four weeks in the charge around how I felt about him, meaning the, had really lessened. And then for the next little while, it started to shift for me that I started to soften and see him as a whole human. Mm. And so it was a really interesting, it was such a cool practice for me and, uh, and a very challenging one. Like it did take about three months for me to get to a place that, yeah, I think three months in of that practice, he stopped yelling at me at the end of the night because it wasn't affecting me anymore. Well, he probably felt that you weren't as resistant and yeah, charged toward against him. Yeah. You know? So that would be one reason to do a practice of compassion. I thought, um, we could kind of bring that up is, is if you have somebody in your life that you, that the charge is strong, meaning that you feel a very intense emotion that can 
take you on a ride versus you go on a, like you versus you like I always say I'm not the one driving when those emotions are I'm like in the back seat just holding on for dear life and so um, I feel like one of the gifts of the of the practice of compassion is to actually create a softness around you so that there is no charge Mm -hmm. and so that would be one reason to do a compassionate practice and I feel like another one to do it is if you see someone in your life who's clearly suffering I mean actually I feel like we're all suffering but someone who's clearly suffering who could use some meta some loving kindness and so um, allowing that to be to be your practice again is a is really beneficial. And I'm actually, I wanted to put it back to you. Like, have you ever done a, a meta practice or a practice of compassion for somebody? And how did that work for you? Meta in terms of clearing for myself, like you're talking about. Loving kindness. So just sending them. Yes. And it was somebody who I could see actually two, two times um, with friends who I could see were going through their own cycle mm. of suffering. And mm. I was very close to them. And it hurt me watching them and just the, you kind of, you get stuck in a loop is what I felt. And I've been there. We've all been there where you're stuck in your own loop. Um, yeah. And I, my practice was before I went to bed, I would sit and think about the person and send them kindness. So I wouldn't like Tong Lan is you're breathing in the pain, which I didn't quite do that just cause I don't feel comfortable in taking in someone else's that for me was a bit of a boundary so I just held on to the essence of the person and would send them my own kindness and so has that shifted for you do you feel like you're now able to breathe in people's pain because that is like that that is a tall ask (laughs) no I don't and I for myself because I get I feel like I get sucked into other people I feel like at I feel like I'm an empath and that I can get really drawn into what other people are feeling. Yeah, so let's just break down what empath means. Yeah. So an empathic person is someone who can feel the feelings that other people are feeling. Generally, it's visceral, like they can actually feel it. You can feel it in your physical body. So you walk into a room where you you step into someone's field and all of a sudden you feel like crying or something, or you feel a strong emotion that you realize is not yours. So keep going. Yeah, and I am now learning how to deal with not getting pulled into other people's emotional cycles. And that has been, that has been my work, I'd say, for the, the last year. Because mm-hmm. um, I used to, and I'd get all spun out with myself. And a couple years ago when I started teaching yoga, I couldn't identify why I would feel um, kind of dizzy or sick or lots of different things leaving the yoga class. And I wouldn't know what to do with that. And you mentioned once lots of different ways to purge the energy and washing your hands or touching the ground. Yeah, let's go through them just mm-hmm. so that we can offer it to our community of people. Yeah. And so uh, if you are somebody who who uh, is either, a, generally I feel like a lot of empaths actually go into the healing modalities because we have this automatic urge to uh, take away or shift people's pain. And then that's why I find a lot of healers actually burn out because they don't know how to cleanse the energy that they're picking up. And that's what Steph's kind of talking about right now. And so um, what is something that you do in order to kind of, now that you're aware of it, now that you know that you're like, oh, that's not mine, what do you do? I like being outside. Mm -hmm. I feel like getting outside in the elements is really reassuring for me. If I can't go directly out and be by the water or in the wind or in the trees, because sometimes you can't, Yes. um, closing my eyes and uh, 
for lack of a better term, my therapist gave me this one, to close my eyes and imagine a channel connecting me to the center mm, of the earth. Yes. And then at the center, there's water. So there's some fluidity and you're just pouring that emotion back Beautiful. into that pool that everyone is connected to. Yes. So we're all sharing it. It's yes. not mine. It's not yours. It's everyone's. Yes. And I don't need a direct line to it. And essentially, you're giving it back into the earth. And it's grounding because I tend to go way up here and then I can get hysterical. So putting it down where yes. Yeah. yeah, my martial arts teacher, um, Constantine Darling, used to, it's a martial arts technique as well. And so what you do is you literally uh, feel your feet and you allow the emotion yeah. to wash down into the earth because the earth, at least in uh, the martial art I studied, the earth can take every energy and transform it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what kind of energy it is. So if you ever feel like you are holding on to something that um, is weighing you down or, or not working for you, envisioning, I love that. You can yeah have that connection of, of the center of you with the center of the earth mm -hmm. and having that go down or like for me, I'm very tactile. So actually like moving my toes and feeling the ground underneath me and then envisioning that I'm literally like washing it down my legs and into the earth, down my legs and into the earth. And so, yeah, that's a wonderful technique to do. And also going outside yeah. and kind of remembering that you're a part of something greater is a beautiful, yeah. another beautiful way of doing it. I also recommend like, it, yeah, if you can't do it or you need to do it right away is washing your hands, yeah. like literally. And then thinking as you wash your hands, you're looking at them and envisioning the water. Water is very, very healing. Mm -hmm. um, envisioning that the water is washing away um, anything that you're holding on to. And so the other part of that, though, is as you're washing your hands, envisioning that whatever that feeling is, is actually coming down the arms and out. And the other thing you can do, and I'm doing that yeah. now, is you can shake, right? Um, there's a practice that we did this week in the 30-day challenge, and it's something that um, animals will naturally do, is after a traumatic experience, they start to shake, right? And the idea of the shake is actually to move the energy out, to move the experience out. So if you are feeling a, a lot of intense emotion like that, then you can literally just shake your whole entire body. And you want to really hit your heels on the ground. There's marma points, yeah. there's pressure points, acupressure points on the bottom of the heel that can really help stimulate healing. And so you hit your heels and like shake, 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 shake. And that would be another great way to relieve the or get rid of the emotion. And you're reminding me of a conversation I had with someone where um, I was in kind of an altercation with someone. And when I was replaying it to a girlfriend and we were chatting it out, she's like, your nervous system actually goes into shock it does. when you feel like you're being attacked, which is why I immediately afterward, I just cried. Yeah. And I always get upset with myself because I wish in the moment I could ground and speak and articulate, but usually I can't. Yeah. I walk up and then I start crying. Yeah. And that is, so your nervous system goes into shock yes. and the shaking releases it the yes. same way crying does. Yes. So to dance, to run, to go do something that expels all that anxious energy. Yes. And that's what I did that day is I had my big cry. I went and did yoga. I meditated. And then way hours later that day was able to reach out and say how I felt yes. after I purged all of the, yeah, that yeah. I was carrying. Yeah. And important yeah. to, and it sounds like you're getting there, important to really honor the way your own process. Totally. And there are some people who process really quickly and are able to articulate in the moment how they're feeling. But I find that most people, it doesn't work that way because you need to sit with what it is that you're feeling. Because generally, as soon as a surge comes, some sort of strong emotion, like you can't actually generally articulate because the emotion generally takes 
starts driving the car, as I like to say. Yeah, and I'm you used it earlier. I'm being pulled by this force that is not me, mm-hmm. and I tend to not like to react against the other person, mm-hmm. which is what happens in anger or sadness. So I kind of freeze up like deer in headlights, which, yeah, honoring your process. And it it's why, and this was another point I wanted to get around to, it's why I was recommended to take Reiki training. Mm-hmm. And Reiki is... Um, it's, I'm learning to use it in terms of boundaries, not necessarily giving Reiki to anyone. And so do you want to just break down what Reiki is? Reiki is a healing modality that works with the transfer of energy. So you're ideally shifting the energy of someone when you're giving them Reiki, but you can do Reiki for yourself. And it's a lot like what we've been talking about with the practice of compassion, where you're shifting your energy Mm. and you can use your hands to touch different places on your body I don't Um, I like the second level of Reiki because you're given three symbols and then the symbols to me I use it more in terms of boundary setting so I use the symbols you can again use your hands to draw them but I like closing my eyes and doing more of a visualization practice so I can be in a room full of people or on the bus and doing it without physically drawing shapes in the air. And so what's the idea of drawing the shape in the air? Why would you do that? Um, one of them is for like a clearing. So you oh, would, I see. So you would use the symbol in terms of if you're having issues with someone, you can draw the symbol to clear the energy. Because what, what was happening for me in terms of it, Reiki keeps the energy flowing. So what was happening for me is when I came up against situations or people where I didn't want to receive, I would put up a wall. But then you're creating a barrier and Mm. people feel that off of you. So you're not taking anything in. So it's the practice of how can I receive you for who you fully are? How can I receive this situation but still have the boundary of being in who I am and having integrity? And so it keeps the energy moving without creating more obstacles and more layers of separation. If that makes sense. It does. And so how do you do that? Through the shapes? So I use the symbols that were provided in um, the second level of training I took. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the one that's for clearing and moving energy is the one I use the most. Because I start feeling uncomfortable and can kind of shrink within myself. Yes. So I'll kind of visualize this symbol and keep breathing until my emotions subside and I'm more willing to be present and just open to receive what's happening. But it's, it's a practice of, of, for me, boundary setting. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about because I feel like you do Reiki in the yoga practice, just in how you move yourself and the energy in the room and certain questions you ask. And if you're going to be someone, this is why I'm not giving Reiki to anyone. I'm just doing myself Mm -hmm. because you have to have really strong boundaries. You have to be able to anchor and hold fast to your own values, beliefs while integrating with others, which I think can be really challenging in moments of conflict and when emotions start percolating. And then you know, how do I not resist or project? How can I just simply be present and open to whatever it is that's going to happen? So all of that said on my end, um, my question for you is knowing what Reiki is, how is it that you work with that energy 
when you're doing yoga? I don't really think about it mm-hmm. is a large part of it. It's very instinctual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that energy work, and I'm sure I'm sure the, the, the course that you took would say that, is that at some point you don't think about it anymore. You're just kind of doing it. Totally. Right? And so um, as somebody who's also empathic and has been, I think, since I was a tiny little one, um, where I literally can walk into a room and feel what everyone is feeling, mm-hmm. um, is to... Kind of how we talked about how to let go of energy is to stay grounded in myself. And so uh, feeling my feet or feeling my physical body or hearing my own breath. So being cognizant of that and then also like widening my, um, my, like widening the energetic net is what I like to call it. Like widening my awareness to kind of feel the people around me and to recognize uh, what is mine and what isn't mine, mm-hmm. right? And then also to be able to feel what other people are feeling without uh, letting it shake me on a on a deep level. And so, how do I do that? I don't know. I I don't actually really I don't really think about it. I we've started doing it in the three hundred hour that Steph's a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got th- this technique from my martial arts teacher who works a lot with energy, which is why I loved him so much. So there's a giver and a receiver, and the giver essentially thinks of a shape or a color and sends it off to the receiver, and the receiver um, tries to envision it envision something coming towards them. And so one of the ways of doing that is playing with different ways, uh, like saying the word, like um, through your mind's eye or sending uh, an image or going through your heart or like imagining it's moving through your hands. And so I did a lot of that kind of work for a couple of years with him. And so I feel like that also really helped understand what is mine and what isn't mine. Mm -hmm. And then obviously I feel like therapy really does that too. Therapy has been another big one and self-reflective uh, practices like meditation. But I think mostly this martial art work that I did and theater work is like understanding what's mine and what's not mine and then not holding on or, or creating or getting upset about anything that comes towards me that isn't. I don't know if I just answered your question, but um, the, yeah, the, big, the biggest thing to do around, and this is why we want to talk about giving and receiving because um, we are constantly giving and receiving knowingly and unknowingly every time you come into interaction with somebody else, like, or you come into interaction with an environment. And so there's no way around it. We are either giving or receiving. And one thing that's cool about this exercise that, um, my martial arts teacher got us to do is to recognize, am I a stronger giver or a stronger receiver? Meaning do I, do I, when I come into the room, do I take up space? Do people know how I'm feeling or do I walk in the room and I can feel what everybody else is feeling? And sometimes we're one or the other, depending upon the dynamic of the people that are in the room. Um, but it's an important one to understand because that'll also help you get clear around your boundaries. You brought that up in our 300 hour when we switched partners to mm-hmm. examine if we could send the symbols stronger or receive them. Yeah, I remember you asking us yeah, that Yeah, because the dynamic of the person that you're working with or the environment you're working with is also going to change yep. um, whether or not you are a giver or a receiver. And it is all boundary work. Like a large piece of this is learning how to develop and set boundaries around the way you're interacting with your environment or with people, which is something that I don't think we talk about enough. Yeah. And um, how would you think that we, like what would be some tools that you would recommend for people to, or tools that you've worked with in order to create strong boundaries? Therapy has been a big one for me, uh, and it's also why I took the Reiki training in aid 
determining where you're going to draw the line with people. Yeah, so I. So for me, where I'm going to determine how much I'm going to take. So for an example with this would be when I taught a yoga class, how long am I staying with students afterward Great. and talking and asking questions? Yes. And I did need to be like, okay, 10 to 15 minutes and then I have to leave or you will be there, you know this, forever just chatting idly with people and listening to their stories, which is great, but it also, when you teach several classes a day across the week, it's very taxing. Yes. Um, And then the other side of boundaries is what you can let go. And that, you brought this up, I think, in an intensive we'd done in carrying all the burdens like how much can you put down and just don't pick it up again so the disagreement you got into with your girlfriend your sister your mother don't keep replaying the tape in your head like resolve talk to the person talk it out and then put it down and let it rest yeah I'm reading this um great book right now called Mama Zen that uh, my friend Carolyn gave me uh which is uh the Buddhist Buddhist take on parenting essentially and it's a lot of Buddhist uh, philosophy just told in a different context, which is always, I feel like, a fun, fun, <laughs> always fun to read things in different contexts. So one of the things that it said that I really loved and what you're bringing up right now is that you're never, there are going to be moments in every parent's life and in every person's life where you blow up and you lose it and your emotion take, yeah. runs away with, like, and so instead of beating yourself up around that, the real practice is, is how quickly can you come back to yeah. to neutral, yeah. right? And so that is the biggest work is how to come back. Because I remember actually I was talking about this with my therapist recently of like, I'd like some more tools so that when I'm in conflict with my partner, like how do I not get to that point of like, you know, blowing up? And essentially what she said is the same thing that Mama Zen is saying is like, you're going to blow up sometimes. Like that's inevitable. Yeah. And I know that in my, but it's like nice to hear it and you're like, right. But the important part is how quickly do you come back? How quickly do you let it go? Yeah. Right. How quickly um, do you let the conflict go and be like, okay, now we're in this moment. I'm forgiving what happened before. I'm forgiving myself as well as my partner or my child or whatever. And moving forward now, how do we go? Yeah. And so I think that that is also for me, a been a very big lesson in my own boundary work is like, um, like they, um, I don't remember if it's a Buddhist saying, but like w- people love to hold the hot coal, right? And that's a choice to hold yeah. the coal. And the yeah. coal is the conflict. The coal is the story that you tell yourself. The coal is the thing that you don't, that that is like your story. Like, oh, you know, I'm this kind of person or the world, you know, is doing this to me. It's that burn, 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 burn. And we have the choice to put the coal down whenever we want, but we keep holding on to it until all of a sudden we're burning and then our hand's burning and it's going up our arm. And so when do we put it down? So the the practice is how quickly can I put it down, right? And so I feel like that's, at least for me, that's been a lot of my boundary work is like, let it go. Like put it down, let it go. And now in this moment, forgive myself, forgive the person across from me. And like, how do we move forward? And I find that that work also does, like I do that kind of work uh, when I'm doing uh, group work, knowingly or unknowingly is like trying to see people, especially if they trigger me for who they are, let it go, love them for who they are and keep moving on. Right. Because a big piece, and you've said it a couple times, is the story we create around whatever it is that's triggering us. Mm -hmm. And it's so subtle and subconscious. I'll recognize that I'm doing it, and I'm like, okay, that is an assumption. That's my expectation. 
have I vocalized any of my, that's a big one for me, is that I'll start getting a story running around in my head. And if I check myself, I'm like, oh, I actually haven't communicated my needs or made a request. (laughs) So I'm building up all this against someone and I'm like oh I actually didn't tell you I wanted to go for lunch and now I'm mad at you (laughs) it's like okay (laughs) yeah so not attaching yourself to the story or creating a dialogue around something that may or may not be happening and then the other part that you're talking about right now that's also important and I'm also working on myself is transparency yeah like just being fully transparent where you're like in this moment I'm feeling x y and z you know, instead of it feeling it and then being like, why don't they know that I'm feeling this or whatever? Like, that's my story. So that's why I'm bringing it up right now. It's like I get very upset. Like, why don't you know that I want yeah. to have lunch, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. And of course they don't know because you haven't told them. You they can't read your mind. Anything. Yeah. So giving and receiving is such a fascinating one. It's like this interaction, this play between you and whatever it is outside of you that cannot read, that cannot know inherently what's happening within you. And so part of at least for me the practices all practices the reiki whatever the martial arts is like learning how to uh communicate what's happening inside without um, a strong ah, you know where to the point where you blow up and it doesn't you've just said it it doesn't matter what you're doing but recognizing that everything needs to move that Mm -hmm. you're not building resistance against it and you're not yeah projecting and blasting your shit all over someone because we talked about this in a different talk in when you feel that swell of emotion put it somewhere else yes move it yeah move it move it out or create art whatever you need to do to express it yeah Yeah, express it don't direct it at someone yeah yeah okay this is great to read my next quote from uh thomas moore during the dark night there was no choice but to surrender control Give in to unknowing and stop and listen to whatever signals of wisdom might come along. It's a time of enforced retreat and perhaps unwilling withdrawal. The dark night is more than a learning experience. It's a profound initiation into a realm that nothing in the culture, into a realm that nothing in the culture so preoccupied with external concerns and material successes prepares you for. Okay. And the dark night is when we are in something intense, when we are in shadow meaning that we're in a place that is discomfort, that is unknown. And Thomas More is celebrating the idea of being in our sadness to learn more about ourselves instead of calling your sadness, you know, depression or whatever other terminology you want to give it and just saying, today I'm sad and letting yourself be in that experience, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is why I love this book. Mm-hmm. It's which so, book, where is that, which one is that from? Uh, Thomas More's Dark Nights of the Soul. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so we kind of went into this, if you uh, listened last week um, to our last podcast, we started to talk about the shadow school mm-hmm. and then um, and then life happened and we had to move on. But um, so it's beautiful that we're kind of coming back to it in terms of giving and receiving of the emotions themselves and allowing them to allowing there to be spaced for them to be felt without pushing them away. And so receiving, sometimes receiving doesn't mean from another person, but it actually means from the inner, you know, what I like to call the inner landscape or, or the, other, the other aspects of ourselves that want to be expressed that generally we don't give space to. And the word surrender sticks out because you, you have to soften and to feel those things. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, usually when I get mad, if I can let the story go and let the anger subside, 
what I actually need to do is cry Mm -hmm. and I feel sad. Mm -hmm. Sadness is for me usually underneath my anger and just being with that. But usually I don't want to feel, no one wants to feel sad, but there's space to feel sad and what comes out through the sadness can be beautiful. It's like when you get into conflict with someone and come to a resolution, there's usually more intimacy there afterwards if you can resolve it. And the same is within these emotions that are coming up within yourself. If you feel the full spectrum, usually what can come out of that is beautiful. Even if you're... As long as you have the tools, the problem that happens for a lot of people, and I feel like why, why we shy away from those strong emotions is we don't know, we haven't ever given them the space to be fully expressed and felt and or we don't know what's going to happen so anger generally shows up um anger is a great indicator that there's something stronger going on which stuff you said it's usually a deeper emotion like sadness grief something along those lines anger shows up because anger allows us to stay in control yeah, it's the defense mm-hmm. against everything else. Yeah, so always observe that. I observe. I love anger. It's one of my favorites because I love being in control. <laughs> and so it's a wonderful indicator for me as soon as I start to feel that of like, oh, something else is going on, you know. And so can I soften into it? Can I surrender? And I generally can't do it in the moment if that person's there. I actually, at least for me, my own process, I need to pull back and allow myself to let the steam uh, settle and then to be able to feel that emotion to come back and say okay this is how I'm feeling like I'm I never thought of anger in terms of a control like oh, yeah. letting you I never thought of it now that I'm thinking I've never examined it through that lens yeah so people uh generally who like control yeah um love anger because we feel like we're in control hmm we're not in control. Anger is in control. Like, we're, let's get real about that. But it feels like we're in control, and it feels like we have a say in how it's being expressed, mm-hmm. where at least with sadness and grief and, uh, and some of the so- quote-unquote softer emotions, um, we have to be vulnerable in order for them to be felt, yeah. and that uh, generally is harder for somebody who loves control. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people could put up their hand on that one (laughs) yeah myself being one of the biggest ones and that's why it's like such a gift to work with uh it's and hopefully and I invite you to do it if you are if you sit in the same boat as maybe the two of us but definitely me um is that next time it arises to think of it maybe not in that exact moment, but to be excited about it because there's something strong that's yeah. brewing there. And so if you have, if you can create the time and space to unpack it, either with a therapist or with a friend or through journaling or through movement of some sort, like having a time and space where you don't have to be doing anything else, but you can just fully be in it, whatever that looks like for you, and to be excited about what surfaces because generally it's something like Steph said it can be actually a beautiful unraveling but you will unravel and that's like an important one and it not only like I love what you said earlier like generally when there's conflict with another person when there's resolution there's a deeper intimacy Mm -hmm. and I also find that there's a deeper intimacy with myself when I unpack something Mm -hmm. that has had a very strong um, either sway over me uh, in my life or um, has been yeah, whirling around, I think of it like, I, sometimes I think of my anger like a tornado, and it kind of takes everything in, and so if I can if I can soften and go to the eye of the tornado, what's there is usually something really, really interesting. So what do you do, because you brought it up a few moments ago, in terms of 
tools to be in these emotions? What are some of the things that you do to either move through your anger or acknowledge your sadness so you can, because everything comes in waves. For sure. And I read something, um, it's based on science, but any emotion that lasts longer than two minutes, say, is you're deciding to yes. cling to that emotion. It's, it's already it's on a hormonal level. It's moved. it's moved through you. Yeah. So now you've created a story and you're hanging on to it. You're holding on to that coal. Yeah. Okay, bring the coal back. <laughs> you're choosing to hold the coal. So how do you, what are some of the things you do to move through so you can come into a different state? I think the biggest thing that I, need, I do for myself um, is to step away. I need to step out of the situation. Whatever that situation is, I need to get out of it for a bit. And I need to soften, let go, and breathe, and ideally be quiet. Mm. So I need to be quiet. So generally, I found, or I need to sleep on it. Like, that's something that I've, I've, I've found really helps me. Like, um, if, if, if conflict or whatever is arising at night, um, which I find it does for whatever reason in my life right now, um, is that I, sleeping on it really helps because it allows me to kind of soften and, and then I start to kind of chew on like, well, what's really going on here? Yeah. Or um, what is it about what the other person said that really triggered me? Like, why does it trigger me? Because generally I find if something triggers you, there's, a, there's something there for you to learn. There's something there for me to learn. Let me speak in the first person. So... I try to go back to that and be like, what is true about the statement that is, that is taking me on this journey? So it's a lot of, a lot of reflection. Yeah. And sometimes um, I do it more in my head now, but definitely when I was younger, I journaled a lot about it a lot. I actually remember reading my journal recently and being like, all of the things I wrote in my journal are really intense. But I realized <laughs> that in the last like six years, I only write in my journal when I need to process something. And so that's one way of doing it. So I write it out or the other way I do it is I speak it out either with my therapist or with a close friend. And I just ideally say, I'm just going to do diary of the mouth and try to figure out what it is that I'm really feeling. And so those are kind of the different ways of processing it. Another way would do would be through meditation or through movement itself. But I find these days it's like just before I go to bed, so I kind of unpack it in my dreams. I unpack it when I wake up. Yeah. I'm just sitting and kind of observing, like, why am I affected by this? And you brought it up in our talk when we were uh, speaking about our, our teachers. And these moments and our teachers can be great tools for learning so mm -hmm. your adversaries or the conflict yes. can be tools to learn more about yourself and in that process deciding what shit is mine and what shit is yours yeah 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 that's good fodder i think to leave it on yeah yeah okay great that's a lot to chew on. So, uh, homework for uh, for our friends who are listening is um, to kind of observe what what is your relationship to your boundaries and how you work with other people. And then another another piece of homework that I'd love you to sit with is the next time you feel a strong emotion, what is your natural inclination? Like, what do you naturally want to do? Like, you're like, do I want to scream? Do I want to yell? Do I want to like push this person? Do I want to push myself? Do I want to get really quiet? Like what naturally wants to happen? And then within that, is it serving me? 
Is the way that I'm coping with or working with this strong emotion, is it working for me right now? And if it is, awesome. And when do you know it's working for you? You know it's working for you if by the end you're no longer holding that coal, right? You've been able to let go of whatever needs to be let go of. And you've, if it's with another person, you've been able to communicate with them in a way that they hear it. Because that's the important part. They hear what it is you're trying to say. And so if it's not... Maybe try a different technique, some of the techniques that both Steph and I have worked with here, or try a different one. And one thing that I will say is be open to asking the question aloud, like, I need, I need more tools, and then seeing what arises. Because I'm sure that maybe that's how the Reiki training, I feel like, showed up for you. Yeah, you put, you put things out. I put things out to the universe. Yeah. You have to ask and see what comes back. So totally. be, be open. And, and coming back to, I talked about Rob Bresney last week, but he has this theory called pronoia, which yeah. is the opposite of paranoia. Pronoia is uh, the idea that the universe is conspiring to help you versus the universe is out to get you. And so put it out there. Like you can verbally say it or write it down or something. Like I need more tools to help work with whatever is arising for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so in that way, may we be uh, clearer, more mm -hmm. communicative givers and receivers to the best of our ability. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't already, we'd love you to subscribe to the podcast. And thank you so much for joining uh, Steph and I. It's always a pleasure to yeah. share our thoughts with you. This is one of our passions. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Practice with Clara app. That's mine. I've created almost 100 yoga classes for you to do at home or on the go. And they're available to you on your favorite device, including mobile, desktop, and TV. These classes include vinyasa, slow flow, hatha, restorative, yin, mantra, meditation. I also just had a baby, so I created prenatal yoga for all four trimesters. So head over to clararobertsoss.com join to learn more. Or search for the Practice with Clara app at your favorite app store. There's a seven-day free trial, so no commitment. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of good stuff in store for you. Until next time, namaste.